Our scripture reading today is from John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For servants does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I did choose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Alexis. Would you join me uh, in in prayer? Father God, um, we invite you, we give you permission this morning to use the words of your son that we just heard read to uh, tamper with us a bit. We invite you this morning to shift around things in our lives that might need shifted around, uh, to sift out things in our lives that, that might need sifted out. More than anything, God, we invite you and we yearn for you to come, to be with us this morning, for your spirit to rest on us. We confess this morning that we want you more than anything. We want you here, so please come and be with us. We commit our time together this morning to your glory, not to mine, not to our churches, but to yours alone. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, by the power of His Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to the Brookside campus. My name's Taylor, if we haven't met, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to lead us this morning in a, a time of teaching. Uh, this is a big sports week, right? Huge sports week. In particular, it's a huge moment uh, for one particular team. And of course, you know that I'm talking about the uh, NBA trade deadline, right? Because uh, Kevin Durant is a Phoenix Sun. Yeah, right? Uh, super exciting. This is the biggest moment uh, in Suns franchise history for my favorite team. I guess there's like a game tonight too, right? There's something going on tonight, I heard. Um, now, now, some people ask, they wonder, like, Taylor, why, why are you a Phoenix Suns fan? Uh, and the simple answer to that is I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, where there wasn't an NBA team in like a 10-hour drive from us. So I could just kind of pick and choose. I love Steve Nash. So I grew up just in, in the Midwest in a rural town, and that's why I'm a Phoenix Suns fan. And that's why this is a big sports week for me, and I'm excited for the game tonight, too. Um, 
I actually grew up in uh, a town uh, called Sterling, Kansas, right in the middle of Kansas. Uh, and it's there that actually I met the most beautiful girl that I had ever seen. Uh, she was in middle school at the time, and I, I was too, by the way. I was also in middle school. <laughs> and at that time in life, uh, I was one of the more, uh, you might call me one of the more round kids. Uh, round is probably an appropriate word. Uh, one of the more round guys in our school. And so uh, talking to attractive girls was kind of a big deal for me. And one day, as our class was walking back from a field trip to the local gas station, uh, which is a thing when you grow up in a small town, uh, we were walking back from the local gas station, and we ended up walking next to each other. We were talking to each other for a little bit. And then uh, all of a sudden, towards the end of the walk, she was like, so Taylor, I have a question for you. Would you maybe want to go to youth group with me? Now, I had grown up in church, I knew what church was all about, but up till that point, our town did not have any youth groups. Again, this is a super small town thing. We had like 10 churches and zero youth groups. Um, so this was a brand new thing for me, but like I said, I was round, so this is basically a date. <laughs> but I soon learned what we all have to learn at some point, okay? Everyone learns this lesson at some point, and it's this. Cute girls fade, Jesus lasts. Cute girls fade, Jesus lasts. Pretty soon, this girl was kind of out of the picture, both for me and she stopped going to youth group. Uh, but pretty soon, I had found my home. I had found my family, my greatest memories, my closest friendships. And I tangibly encountered the love of Jesus in youth group. These are my guys. You might recognize Paul Brandis there in the middle. And my life from that moment on was forever changed. As God's spirit moved in my life, I saw myself transforming at a rapid rate. And over the first seven or eight years of my faith, I would honestly say that my growth seemed pretty natural. It was pretty inevitable and organic that I was just like growing. I didn't even feel like I was trying. And I just saw tons and tons of fruit in my life. But then over the next seven or eight years after that, something curious happened. Starting partway through college, I noticed something shift a little bit to where growth in my life just seemed a bit harder sometimes a lot harder. And over the next seven or eight years, the fruit of my relationship with Jesus was much more difficult to see. I felt like I was slowly becoming more stagnant, like I was losing touch with my friendship and intimacy with my king. Let me just pause for a minute and ask, have, have any of you had a similar experience? Maybe the first few years of your faith were full of, of change and growth and, and vitality and life, like everything was new and exciting, but at some point, it felt like it started to level out or maybe even fade a little bit. Now, maybe your belief in God himself didn't waver, but you found yourself asking questions like this. Is this all there is? Isn't there supposed to be more to this following Jesus thing than what I'm experiencing right now? Why am I not seeing any fruit? Why does it sometimes feel like my faith in Jesus is withering and my friendship with Jesus is waning? We're continuing this morning to walk through the words that Jesus said to the disciples on the final night of his life, sometimes called the farewell discourse, John chapters 13 through, through 17. And as we look at chapter 15, which you heard read a minute ago, kind of the center text of those five chapters, one overarching image dominates chapter 15. 
You might have already been familiar with it when you heard Alexis read it earlier. It's the image of a vine and branches and gardening and fruit. This image of of a vine and branches. And here's what I want to submit to you this morning. If we really grasp what Jesus is trying to get at with this imagery of a vineyard, we will have a better understanding of the moments when our faith feels like a shriveled plant instead of a fruitful branch. If we really grasp it, I really think that we'll have a better understanding of those moments. So I'm unofficially titling this sermon, How to Wither Your Friendship with Jesus. I tried to get this to be the official title, but they were like, that's too many words. So I'm just going to unofficially call it How to Wither Your Friendship with Jesus. If that's something you're out to do, which I'm guessing is not many of us, we're going to find in John 15 three surefire steps to a withering faith and a wilting faith. And I can say with certainty just for myself this morning that every single time in my life that I have felt arid or dry or far from God or fruitless, every single time I was doing one of these three things. And I want to suggest to you this morning that if you're honest with yourself, And you find yourself in a similar place as you walk through the doors this morning? There's a good chance you're doing one of these three things, too. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you aren't following Jesus. You wouldn't say, I'm a Christian. But maybe you've often wondered why people who say they know Jesus don't always manifest the kind of life it seems like they should. Maybe you've wondered that. What we're going to walk through this morning is some of the ways and some of the reasons some of the things that can, can keep us from that kind of life. But wherever we're coming from this morning, I truly believe that when we come to terms with John's words in John 15, we'll have a better understanding of the moments when we feel dry, hollow, unproductive, what it will take to recover vitality and fruitfulness in our faith. Got the picture? Got the flow of, of where we're headed? Cool. Well, if you haven't already, please join me uh, by opening your Bibles to John 15. The words will be on the screen, but I'd love for you to, to follow along in a paperback Bible or on your phone as well. We're going to pick it up here in verse 1, so let's read together. John 15, verse 1. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So here we find the first step in these first three verses, the first step in withering in our friendship with Jesus, and it's this. Resist the Father's pruning. Resist the Father's pruning. The vineyard uh, was a common image used to describe Israel. It was kind of a core identity marker for them to the point where they even had kind of a gold vine uh, that hung over the entrance to the temple. So it was a a key way that that Israel identified themselves. And you see where you pick that up as we read the Hebrew scriptures. You, You gather this idea slowly that Israel, God's people, were supposed to be a vineyard that God plants and then he cultivates cultivates it, the goal for Israel was that they would bear fruit, that they'd bear good fruit to the world around them. But there's this one passage in Isaiah chapter 5 that we don't have time to read this morning. There's one passage in Isaiah where God goes looking. 
He goes looking for good fruit in his people, but all he finds is bad fruit, injustice, unrighteousness. He goes looking for good fruit, and all he finds is bad fruit. So when Jesus says here in in verse 1, I am the true vine, basically what he's saying is I am the true Israel. I'm the real Israel. That kind of good fruit that, that the gardener is looking for, I'm the one who's producing it. And it's in this context that he introduces this idea, this word pruning, pruning. Now, pruning is, continues to be, a a common horticultural practice. Some of you who have a a green thumb might know already that when a plant is pruned, what happens? Part of it gets cut away, right? The gardener literally takes a knife and cuts back the branch. And Jesus tells his disciples, this same thing is going to happen to you. And it's like, yikes. It sounds a little painful, right? He says, actually, it's already happened to you, and it's going to keep happening to you. Now, here's what we can't miss with this idea of pruning. Even though it sounds painful, pruning is actually a good thing. Even though it sounds painful, pruning is actually a good thing. In verse 2, what does Jesus say? He says, it's not the bad branches that get pruned, but the ones who are already bearing fruit. The ones that are already bearing fruit, he says, I'm going to cut those back so that you bear even more fruit. In other words, pruning doesn't just cut away dead stuff, but stuff that's already growing. Stuff that looks so good because the gardener wants to make it even better. We could say it like this. Pruning is preparation for greater fruitfulness. Pruning is preparation for greater fruitfulness. Jesus is reminding his disciples here that there is a preparatory mercy in seasons of pruning. In the moments where we see God cutting away things that look good, relationships, goals, opportunities, in order to produce things that are even better in us. There's a preparatory mercy in seasons of pruning. And it's in these seasons where we see things being cut back that we rightly ask God, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And I think in those moments, God is saying this, because what is coming might crush you if you aren't ready for it. It might crush you in its goodness. It might crush you because it's even more difficult than what you're experiencing now. What is coming might crush you if you aren't ready for it. I'm working in these things, in other words, he says, to prepare you for greater fruitfulness in what might be even harder seasons. Because that's the thing about grapevines, right? One of the reasons they were such an important plant in the ancient Near East is that they survived and bore fruit even in seasons of drought. Friends, sometimes there are things that need to be cut back so that we can flourish in all kinds of weather. And when we resist this pruning, we stunt our growth. These are the moments in life when we're tempted to think, and I've thought before, that God is the furthest from us. But I actually think that Scott N.T. Wright is spot on when he says this. 
The vine dresser is never closer to the vine, never taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. The vine dresser is never closer to the vine than when he has the knife in his hand. And I think he's right. In fact, I know he's right because I've experienced it. So just let me share with you how I've seen this bear true in my own life. My wife Ashton and I uh, have been married for almost seven years now. And many of you know uh, that it hasn't been an easy seven years. Because as of January, it's been four years since we first started trying to get pregnant. And many of you know about that. Many of you walked, us through, walked with us through that so faithfully. But let me just tell you, it's been so hard. It's been painful. We have wept more. We've asked more questions in these past four years than ever before. And I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. Over the first two years of our journey with infertility, I resisted God. I drifted from Jesus. I avoided his spirit. I stopped meeting with him regularly because the pain just pushed me away. But these past two years, I began slowly to allow God to show me how he was shaping me in the desert of infertility. I began to submit to the ways that he wanted to form and prepare me through this season. In other words, it was not suffering itself, but closing myself off to the Father in the midst of suffering that caused my faith to wilt. And I want to be careful here. What I'm not saying is like God sends us lesson, bad things in order to teach us lessons, like God gave us the suffering of infertility because he wanted us to learn something. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think Jesus' point is quite that strong here. But what I am saying is this. God has been pruning me as we've been in a season of suffering and waiting. He's been using it to dig up things in me that I didn't even realize were there before, things that I need to deal with in order to be fruitful in the future, stuff in myself, stuff in my marriage, stuff in my faith. So like Joseph in Genesis 50, I can say, you intended it for evil, but God meant it for good. So let me ask you this morning, are there ways that the Father might be pruning you right now? Are there good things that are being cut back, dug up, Maybe cut off completely. Have you responded to those things by yielding or by resisting? Jesus says, if we want to wilt in our friendship with him, the first thing we need to do is resist the Father in seasons of pruning. Here's the second he says. Disconnect from Jesus and his people. Disconnect from Jesus and his people. Let's keep reading in John 15, starting in verse 4. See how he continues. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So abide in my love. The key word here that's repeated over and over and over again, you probably picked up on it, is that word abide. Abide. Abide is the translation of the Greek word minnow, and that word just carries the idea of of consistent connection and rest, of remaining in something, abiding. And Jesus says something that I think we get kind of numb to this when we've heard it a lot. Just notice how remarkable this thing that Jesus is saying is. It's remarkable. He says, abide in me, and I abide in you. He's talking about something mutual. We remain in Jesus. Jesus remains in us. There's this beautiful language of intimate friendship and connection to Jesus. And Jesus makes it clear that it is only the branches that abide in the vine that grow and bear fruit. It's only the branches that abide in the true vine that grow and bear fruit. Why? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, there is no real fruit that does not have its source in the vine. There's no such thing as real fruit that doesn't have its source in the vine. Martin Schleske is a uh, German violin maker and theologian, uh, which is my favorite combination of things you can be. And he wrote a book that explores connections between the world of music and the, the, and the Christian life. He calls it the, the sound of life's unspeakable beauty. And here's what he says in that book about this passage. I think this is absolutely brilliant, how he describes this unity with Jesus. Here are these words. He says, God lets us participate with him in life. The joining of a musician and an instrument is a picture of this unity. The instrument gives itself completely into the hands of the musician, And the musician is fully immersed in the instrument's sound. A branch does not produce fruit if it does not remain in the vine, but we are also too quick to overlook the reverse. Neither does the vine produce fruit if it has no branches. It's actually pretty similar to what Mitch Holtis was talking about earlier. This is both the humility of God, he says, and the humility of being human. The awareness of this mutuality is essential for a spirit-filled life. Abide in me and I in you. The instrument wholly in the hands of the musician and the musician entirely in the sound of the instrument. I love that. Within this experience of becoming one, the meaning of our existence is fulfilled. It's a beautiful picture of this kind of unity and intimacy we're invited to share with Jesus. So what Jesus is saying here goes something like this. If you remain connected to me, if you abide in me, if you rest in me, if you intentionally cultivate intimacy with me in the quiet places where no one's watching, in prayer, in meditation on my words, then, and only then, will you. But it's more than that too, right? Because if we think critically about this passage, we realize pretty quickly that to be connected to the true vine also means by necessity that we're connected to the other branches. We can't be connected to the true vine and not be connected to the other branches. In the New Testament, there is no 
idea of a solitary, isolated Christian without community. It didn't, they couldn't even fathom it. So Jesus is also saying something like this here. If you remain connected to my people, if you come to church, if you meet in small groups, if you pray and worship together, if you bear each other's burdens, then you will bear fruit. It's connection to Jesus and connection to his people. When I was a sophomore in college, I met another girl who was way more beautiful than the middle school girl, so I married her. That's a picture of us. We're pretty stoked about it. A couple of weeks after we had our very first date ever, we hadn't gone on another date, but we'd been talking a little bit, I had the opportunity to go to the Royals' first playoff game in 29 years. Does anyone remember that game? The wild card game against the A's? I think maybe there's a picture up there. Yeah, that's, that's my picture from my stating room only uh, seat. And it was incredible. Like, do you remember that game? It was one of the best sporting, like, live sporting experiences I've ever had in my life. It was such a crazy game. And the whole time I'm there, I'm texting Ashton, uh, but I noticed that my phone was slowly losing power. And around the eighth inning, uh, it got down all the way to 1%. And I was like, that's fine. The game's almost over. The Royals were losing at that point. It was the eighth inning. I was like, this game's probably almost over. It's okay that it's down to 1%. Until I got a text at 1% that said this. So I would be open to going out again if you would. And then boom, my phone died, right? That's obviously what happened. Which again, wouldn't have been a, a huge deal if the game didn't go 14 innings. And the whole time I'm enjoying this walk-off win, the atmosphere is electric, and all I'm thinking is like, man, I blew it with this girl. I blew it with this girl. She's going to think I don't want to see her again. And it wasn't until 3 a.m. that we finally pulled into an IHOP, not the prayer place, but the pancake place. And we pulled in. And I got to a power source and plugged in my phone, and on my phone, this, this, this text that's staring at me that says, or not, dot, 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 <laughs> with the little, like, see no evil monkey emojis over them. Now, thankfully, I heard the text back. I made it right. Thankfully, it all worked out. Some of you have been hanging on at 1% for a while now. It's been a bit since you've connected to a power source. And in the meantime, you've left on in the background apps that are draining your battery, the apps of people's criticism, the apps of your disappointments with God, your disappointments with the church, and you've let them drain your battery and slowly disconnect you from God and his people. So let me ask you, are you intentionally cultivating intimacy with your friend Jesus right now? Are you tethering yourself to deep friendships in the church? Or are you slowly, maybe even unknowingly, distancing yourself from Jesus and his people? Jesus says, if you want your faith to wilt instead of flourish, resist the Father's pruning. Disconnect yourself from me, from the other branches. Here's the final step he gives us. In case you were like, I want, to, I want more. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> underestimate the joy of obedience. If you want to wither in your friendship with Jesus, underestimate the joy of obedience. Keep reading with me in verse 10. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Jesus says the best way to abide in him, the best way to stay in his love is to keep his commands. He couldn't be clearer about it. Keep my commands. And with it comes this, again, another remarkable promise that we we forget when we hear it over and over and over again. He says, if we obey his commands, we won't just get joy, we will get his joy. He says, my joy, the joy of the happiest being in the universe will be in you, and your joy will fill up with my own. If we keep his commands. Friends, we have to get to a place where we are able to rediscover the joy of obedience. Where our highest pleasure is pleasing him by doing what he says. Now, if you're like me, you can tend to recoil a little bit when we have this kind of conversation, right? Because we want to avoid legalism. We we don't want to be legalistic about our faith, right? Can I just say, it's not legalistic to obey Jesus. That's not what legalism is. I went to a conference in October, and a pastor there uh, named John Tyson said something that's just been burning in my spirit ever since I heard it. Here's what he said. We live in a culture that is so lukewarm that anything that even resembles discipleship is dismissed as legalism. We live in a culture that's so lukewarm that anything that even looks like discipleship is dismissed as, oh, that's legalistic. But what Jesus says here, if we believe his words is that far from being legalism, you show me love by keeping my commands. As Pastor Tom likes to say, Jesus' love language is obedience. That's how he receives love. He says, this is how you keep abiding in me, by obeying me. That's how I loved the Father, and that's how you love me. We often underestimate the joy we will find when we obey his commands And we often overestimate the happiness we think we'll find if we don't. Because obedience is sometimes demanding, but it is never drudgery. It is sometimes hard, but it is never hopeless. Obedience sometimes means dying to yourself, but by dying to yourself, you actually discover your true self. Obedience sometimes means saying no to things we think will make us happy, but it leads to the discovery of deep and lasting joy. Now we have to remember this is something that's learned over time, right? It's only through slowly and quietly, and I'm going to even add imperfectly, obeying Jesus and building a history over time of doing that, that we slowly learn this joy. It's not an instant gratification thing. But he tells us exactly what this looks like when we do. Let's finish out the passage in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, and for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? So that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. 
so that whatever you ask my Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So what command does Jesus care most for us to keep? What's the pinnacle of our obedience? Love one another. In particular, love one another in the same way that I have loved you. If they succeed in loving others like this, Jesus says, they will learn the joy of obedience. If they succeed in loving others like this, they will be able to withstand the hatred of the world that a few verses later, spoiler alert, Jesus says is coming. And Jesus says this, they will produce fruit that abides. That's that same word as earlier, fruit that remains, fruit that lasts. In fact, Jesus says, this is the whole reason that I took the initiative to make you my friends in the first place. I chose you for the express purpose that you would go and produce fruit that lasts, that abides. I don't know about you, but I am convinced that uh, cotton candy is the most disappointing food in the world. <laughs> Anyone else with me there? You pay a ton of money for it, and then what happens? It tastes good for like three seconds, and then it, it just disappears. Friends, the church of Jesus today has too much cotton candy faith and not enough lasting fruit. Too much cotton candy faith, not enough of the lasting fruit that Jesus says he wants and chose us for. The only fruit that remains through loving obedience. So let me ask you, how do you view the commands of Jesus? How do you view the commands of Jesus? Are there places in your life where you are willfully, maybe unwillfully, disobeying Jesus right now? Maybe you've been sweeping it under the rug. Are there opportunities to sacrificially love others like Jesus did that you've been avoiding and maybe disobeying him in that way? How are you viewing the commands and responding to the commands of Jesus right now? At the end of the day, in John 15, Jesus is encouraging his disciples that the keys to a fruitful life full of vitality are yielding to the Father, intimacy with Jesus, and loving obedience. And maybe you feel right now like your friendship with Jesus is withering. You walked in the doors of those church and you feel like you've been drying out. Maybe you've been hanging on at 1% for a while. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to honestly ask yourself, is one of these three things missing in my life? Am I resisting pruning? Am I disconnecting from Jesus or the church? Am I disobeying in any way? Is one of these three things missing in my life? And if you can identify that thing, can I encourage you this morning, run in the other direction? Run towards the good thing? <laughs> Now, maybe you're here this morning and you feel like right now, honestly, I am deeply abiding in Jesus right now. I can see growth and fruit and life and vibrancy. They're everywhere. I almost want to encourage you more strongly to lean in more, to keep pressing in. It's often in seasons where we feel like we're thriving that we stop abiding in Jesus. So keep leaning in and pressing in. Finally, you might be here, and like I said earlier, maybe you're here, and you've never been connected to the true vine. 
In fact, maybe it's partly because of Christians who haven't produced good fruit that you've kept your distance. It's reasonable. But if that's you, can I just like speak a word over you this morning? Jesus wants to graft you into the vine. He wants to graft you into the vine. The God of the universe wants you to be filled to the brim with his love and joy, to be joined to him, to have your source in him so that you can flourish in life. Jesus wants to graft you into the vine. And if you felt like that, maybe that word struck a a note with you this morning, I just want to encourage you, come find me. Find Bill, find Dakota, find some random branch in this room and talk to them about it. I'm getting a sense, just as I've been praying through this message, that God might be calling a lot of us somewhere that if we're honest, we really don't want to go this morning. He might be calling us to let him cut back something that looks really good. He might be calling us to rearrange our schedules for daily intimacy with him, and that's hard. He might be calling us to dive deeper into the mess that comes with real community. He might be calling us to step out in faith and be joined to him for the very first time, and that's scary. I think God might be calling us somewhere we don't really want to go this morning. And all week, I've been thinking of the moment in my favorite story, uh, which you all know is Lord of the Rings. And it's this moment where the fellowship is about to go on their hardest and darkest journey, the journey through the mines of Moria. And none of them really want to do it. And we read this exchange in the Fellowship of the Ring. I don't wish to even enter it once, said Pippin. Nor me, muttered Sam. Of course not, said Gandalf. Who would? But the question is, who will follow me if I lead you there? Who will follow me if I lead you there? Of course, if you know the story, you know that it is at that very moment in Moria that Gandalf would lay down his life for his friends. And of course, if you know the story, you know that less than 24 hours after his words in John 15, Jesus will do the same. And it's this act of sacrificial love that we remember every week when we celebrate communion. Communion is a weekly opportunity for us to say to the friend who showed us the greatest kind of love, I will follow you wherever you lead me.